It's the Practical Medicine Podcast, and we are Doctors Rob Balco and Stephanie Lipnicki. And our special guest is Carrie Burke. Hello. <laughs> who is a certified doula and many other things. I'll let you guys get into that in a minute. Uh, I will I will read our mission statement. The Practical Medicine Podcast goal is to bring awareness about the many different ways to maintain health and heal your body, your mind, your spirit, from acupuncture to Zen living and everything in between. And tonight, it's all about the D. We're going to find out about being a doula or what it's like to be a doula and all your experiences. Mm-hmm. And what WTF is a doula. Exactly. <laughs> so I've known Carrie for, I think it's at least 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I met her when I was teaching at Gentle Healing School of Massage. Yes. Um, I wasn't your primary teacher, Lisa was, but no, I taught. But interestingly enough, I had you for a prenatal massage. <laughs> so <laughs> That's so funny that you say that because I was looking through things. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was in my head thinking there's only, you know, the only people who I'm keeping in touch with are on social media. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I must have lists of who my students were and their emails. And, you know, maybe it would be nice to reach out to them. The school where I taught is closed. Um, the owner passed away and it closed down. No one reopened it. Um, but yeah, I don't have lists of anybody. It's so sad. But that I went through emails and there mm-hmm. was feedback from that. And it was like everybody scored me really high except for one person. It wasn't me, right? <laughs> no, and I think it was that they didn't feel that the information was something that was useful to them. So I'm just assuming that they had no intention of doing right. prenatal massage. So it wasn't me. It was that the mm-hmm. content wasn't wasn't necessarily what um, they themselves were interested in. So why don't you share a little bit about your background and what made you decide to become a doula? And you're a birth doula, not a postnatal, your prenatal and yes. and in the delivery room. Yes. So I was in my early 20s when my sister started having kids and just the whole experience of her going through pregnancy and everything, I was just kind of like fascinated by all of it, which is probably telling of how this came to be because I don't think that too many people get that wrapped up in, you know, the whole pregnancy process. And, um, So just, you know, I was with her for the majority of most of her labors and kind of saw how everything went down. And I was like, you know, really interested in everything. And then going to massage school, I think it just lent itself to becoming a doula and opening it up. You know, massage is kind of like the beginning, the stepping stone of where so many people end up going. Um, So then eventually I had my own labor. Um, When I was in labor, I had a midwife who... I guess that day may have been kind of slow. She had a lot of time to spend with me, um, put me in different positions, keep me moving, really helping me seeing how, you know, labor doesn't have to be this laying in bed with an epidural sedentary kind of thing. Like you can move through it and have so many options um, to make it a really, you know, positive experience. And I did have a really good experience. So um, that's what kicked it off. My own labor was really like, okay, I want to help other people do this. I want to take that fear out of it. Everybody loves to tell their labor horror stories, and I didn't have one. And I thought, you know, maybe we can help other people not to have these horror stories and just have a positive outcome. That's great. Um, So how long after massage school? Uh, So I was 28, and I guess I had Stella when I was 33. So what's that math? Five years? Five years. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was like right after you had Stella that you, you That's jumped when into it. I was, I don't, I think she had just turned two when I had taken my um, doula workshop. Now I took it, a doula workshop back in February before all of like the COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. Hit. And I took it because I, I had been talking to, do you know who Deb Davies is? No. She's a, a acupuncture colleague out in San Francisco who has, um, I think her website is Push San Diego. And they do um, doula work, but also acupuncture in the delivery room. And that was what I had wanted to get into. But then COVID hit, and I just kind of put it on the back burner because COVID's really disrupting lives. Yeah, because I feel like it's a very specialty kind of thing. And it's separate from having your doula there. And in a time where they're only allowing maybe one other person in the delivery room, Mm It, I was like, well, yeah, they're not gonna. Yeah, March, March through July, doulas were not allowed in, and even at some points of this pandemic, no 
no birth partner was allowed in. So um, in July, New Jersey made us essential and back allowed into the hospital, thank God. Yeah. And um, so now I don't think we'll have any problems going forward, but. Have yeah. you, you've done those since? Since, yeah, and I have that. a few coming up in the next few months, so. So if you were gonna give me pretend that I know nothing about what a doula is, mm -hmm. your little elevator speech about what exactly a doula is, pertaining to, you know, a birth doula, right. not necessarily, because we can talk about the other types yeah. of doulas later on, but mm -hmm. specifically what you're the most passionate about. Tell me, like, I don't know a thing. All right. So a birth doula is there to support you and, you know, your partner through the whole labor experience by providing comfort measures, reassurance. Um, we arm you with knowledge so that you can make informed decisions um, every step of the way. Um, you know, just give you what your options are as far as pain relief, the type of birth, the setting that you'd like to give birth in. We just support all around emotionally, physically. Um, there are studies that have shown that when you have a birth doula um, with you through labor, that births are 25% shorter. There's a 60% reduction in epidural requests, 50% um, reduction in cesarean rates, which is huge. And one of the main things that we you know, wanna do is to keep you out of the operating room. Um, a 40% um, usage in Pitocin, so that's you know synthetic oxytocin. Um, and then 40% reduction in the use of forceps and um, 30% reduction in other um, pain medication usages. So much more positive outcomes, um, a lot less interventions. Of course, you know, medicine is so advanced now that thank God we have these interventions, but unless they're absolutely needed, a doula can really help support you both so that they're not needed. Right. And when do you start working with a woman who is in the family way? So... <laughs> <laughs> have not heard that one. <clears throat> so um, that's like the 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying it's to like think. It's like the of... I love Lucy. Ways. Yes, there you go. That's mm -hmm. right. Yes. When when does a woman start working with someone like you? So to get you know the you know like you're saying all this wonderful uh, right. insight and education to make the right choice. So it's funny. Um, sometimes we have people that call us for a doula, and you know I don't even know if the stick is dried yet and they mm -hmm, <laughs> and they are like about five minutes pregnant and they're like i'd like to reserve a doula right. there's other people that wait you know they get past maybe like 20 weeks or so to like you know the reality hits that like i'm gonna have to deliver this baby um so once we go under contract a, a standard birth doula package kind of consists of pregnancy support throughout you know the entire thing once we're contracted to work together um you can Call us, text us, email us, whatever. Anytime you have a concern, a question, mm -hmm. we're always available. 36 weeks on, we're kind of like, that's like our on call. Right. Um, we're ready to go. Middle of the night, holidays, whatever it is. And then um, we're with you throughout the full duration of labor. And then we stay, you know, about an hour or so postpartum. Make sure, you know, the first nursing goes well. Everything, mm -hmm. everybody's healthy, everybody's settled, everybody's feeling good and confident and then as they move on to their postpartum room that's usually when we'll leave the hospital and then about a week or so later we will um do a home check-in make sure mm -hmm. there's no signs of like postpartum depression or anxiety um check to make sure if um the mother's choosing to nurse that you know that's going well we can assist to a degree with some of that if you're a lactation consultant then obviously you can really be much more helpful but if not then we'll help you reach out to a lactation consultant so um you know, that's that's the standard. So that you have a team, though, of people who you are in touch with to help with certain things yes. like that. Like yeah. if you're not at the time a lactation consultant, a doula will have someone that they can then refer you to. Right. We have a pretty most of us have a pretty hefty resource list. And a lot of it, you know, with simple latching and things like that, mm -hmm. like we can help assist with that. Right. But if it you know, we we kind of stay in our lane if it goes outside of what we can really help you with. Of course, you know, we have many resources to to bring to you, so. Right, so, and I just wanted to briefly say that there, you know, again, there are different types of doulas. There's birth 
postpartum and even at the time that I took the doula training, they were talking about end of life doulas. I commonly hear it referred to as a death doula. Yes. So yeah, that's actually the term that I heard too. <laughs> right. It's not as it's not as uh, pleasant. Yeah. It's, I think I'd rather be on the birth end of things, but I could see and it's different from hospice care. But you know, we're not gonna get into that today. We might at right. some point. Right. Yeah. Right. It's all at the end of the day, it's all support. It's just somebody that's gonna emotionally support you through things and it's an it's an outsider, you know, sometimes when we're on the inside and even with birth partners, we don't know how to do that support because we're so emotionally invested in that person where the outside person can kind of step in and put our emotions aside and just do, you know, the work right. that they need. And having seen a lot of births, I think, you know, when someone is like maybe at that point where they're like, I have to have, you know, an epidural or intervention mm -hmm. and you can kind of say to them, like, this is where you are. And if you can just make it right. this much further because you're experienced in seeing mm -hmm. how that labor progresses or saying, <clears throat> you know, I know you wanted it to go this way. Right. But let's take a breath and, you know, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I know that the, it sounds cliche, but that everyone is healthy is the most important thing. Right. So. Um, Do you have numbers on how many women are choosing doulas now versus say 10, 20 years ago? I don't have those numbers offhand, but I would say that it's, it's funny how, if you're in North Jersey, doulas are a dime a dozen. Everybody's using them. Hospitals are staffed with them. The further we get central and south, mm -hmm. it's we still need to make a name for ourselves. Even midwives, sometimes the further south Jersey you get, they're like, oh, what? Like they need to be more, you know, right. known and put out there. So I would say it's definitely people are using doulas more and more, but I think that we still have a long yeah. way to go in different parts and letting people know what we are and that right. we're there. And this is your primary profession? It is now, this and massage therapy. This yeah. is, I uh, have my little business going now mm -hmm. and it's, it's, right. it's birthing. <laughs> yeah. it's well, it, my point is that it says something about the fact that it is uh, continuing to grow and, and become more mainstreamed. Right. Yes. Right. yes. So I don't know whether I want you to go into birth plans first or you to tell me, that, to share the story that you told me about <clears> when your son, you guys had a birth plan and they were just like, <laughs> <laughs> my son is uh, now, he'll be 24 in May. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so imagine 24, 25 years ago, uh, we went to um, the OB and had a birth plan and, and mm -hmm. the midwives were like, well, I wouldn't even call them midwives because they were working really out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. They were nurses who were midwives. Right. Uh, and I say that for the second story because they were so different and they were like oh this is really cute it's, it's right. nice it's nice uh -huh. you know and but it goes back to your point of you know it is a plan but it's it's like any plan you know, right things mm -hmm. can change things can come up you know and you know some of it worked some of it didn't right you know and the big thing it did was to make the second plan that much more pre-planned Right. right. So we found midwives before, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like you said, before the stick was dry. Right. Right. And, <laughs> you know, we, that birth, as the first birth was in the hospital, it was a, it was a 12 hour labor. It was very painful and, and uncomfortable. It just happened to be the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. So, mm -hmm. you know. People wanted to get out. Right. So we have, <laughs> you know, so you know what the results of that one right. was. And then in the second one, we were at home. We had a tub you know, the, the water birth. Yeah, um, I like that. Like you're saying, you know, she was walking up the stairs sideways right. to open up her pelvis. Mm -hmm. every, you know, the midwives were tried every possible thing. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't working out. So we tossed her in the back of the Subaru and drove <laughs> up to Summit, New Jersey from here. From here. And, and the doctor examined her and said, I'm going to use forceps, but I can deliver this baby. Mm -hmm. And that's really what she wanted. So, right. you know, limited success in terms of the plan or the dreams but at the end of the day a healthy baby and a healthy mother right you know, i mean he was a little beat up he was he had a black eye and a separated <laughs> oh, no. shoulder and stuff like that i don't want to you know yeah. give anybody some scary things but <laughs> you would never know today he's like athletic he's a he was a dancer he's a karate kid you know yeah. he's, he's like perfectly healthy healthy kid and that's really what it's all about is this education to arm the parents really with as much information mm -hmm. and power as possible for them to make their informed decisions so that everybody's you know, right happy and right. healthy 
But that's one of the things that I feel like doulas really help with is putting, you know, like the if then mm-hmm. what sort of scenarios in place. Mm-hmm. So I thought, yeah, I did want Rob to share that with you because yeah. he shared it with me. But I do want you to talk to us about, you know, the birth plan aspect well, of things. I always, I tell my clients too, like, especially if you have an OB, there's a lot of really excellent OBs out there. But more so when you have an OB, they're going to scoff and laugh at a birth plan. And um, like you guys were saying at the end of the day, you know, you want a healthy mom, a healthy baby. And that's all true to an extent. We want that, but we don't want the trauma that leads to that where they can say, well, that was horrible, but we're Mm -hmm. healthy. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of things that didn't have to happen from point A to point B. So I tell my clients to all fill out a birth plan because it's a woman's voice. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what we really want is this woman to be heard. And I tell them, you know, don't don't etch it in stone. Don't get this birth plan and say, like, this is how I'm going to deliver. Because there's there's going to be some things that come up. And it's not always common that it will go as planned. Right. So, um, you know, we give I give my clients a standard birth plan. And then we go over what their wishes are. And then I veer off to the different scenarios that can mm-hmm. come up during labor. Because one, I don't want this to be the first time that they're hearing of this in the delivery room where they have to make a game time decision without having any knowledge that this scenario may have come up. Um, so I and, like to And we over. all know how difficult it is to make any kind of decision in, in that moment. situation. Right. Right? And at where that point- Second to second things change in terms of what that woman is going through right. and the stresses that she's under. And at that point, I could remind her, remember we discussed that this may have happened as part of your birth plan as the second option. This is what you would have liked to see happen if this situation right. were to come up. So it kind of gives them still that sense of control, still that sense of like, yeah. oh, yeah, it didn't go initially how I wanted it. But now we can go to the next thing. Um, But there's other things in the birth plan that sometimes people don't even think of. Vaccinations, when the baby comes, as soon as the baby comes out, do you want vitamin K? Do you want the ointment? Do you want the hepatitis shot? These are things that parents don't think about. They're things that they have no knowledge of. Um, Group B strep, if they're group B strep positive, we're not going to labor at home if your water breaks. We have to go right to the hospital if your water breaks because now we have to start an antibiotic. So there's different things that just kind of need to be planned for. Circumcision. are you going to nurse? Do you want that skin to skin as soon as the baby's born? Are you going to delay um, cord clamping and wait till the cord stops pulsing? So there's all these just like little tidbits Nuances. of information. Yeah, that mm-hmm. unless you're sitting mm-hmm. down and doing a birth plan, you don't even think about. And then normally, you know, baby comes out, they're on mom, mom's like totally in love. And then it's dad that's left there. And they're like, hey, are you cutting this cord? Are you doing this? And he's just deer in the headlights. So right. we have all right. this information. So I try to remind my moms too that when a birth plan is changed, it's not a failure of the birth plan. It's just right. moving on to the next best thing. So they were listened to, they were honored, but now it's time to go to what's going to be the most helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. So in terms of a C-section, and the reason why I, I wanted to talk about this was I did, I, so my twins, um, the, so their due date was, I think, the beginning of June, but I had them mid-May. Um, and by March, they knew that Xander was transverse mm-hmm. and Quentin was like this. And mm-hmm. they're like, there's not enough, there's not enough room to yeah. move. It never occurred to me because I knew I was having a C-section. I took the Lamaze because I was concerned that if I went into labor, I wanted to at least know the breathing yeah. techniques, but it never occurred to me to have a doula there. Mm-hmm. So I had a scheduled C-section at one o'clock in the afternoon, no food after midnight because it's surgery, and mm-hmm. I got to the hospital, and when you're not in labor, every emergency C-section yes, gets <laughs> marched down before you. So by the time... So from one o'clock until right before midnight, when my twins were delivered, I couldn't eat, had to sit there. And no one said to me, it's close enough to midnight, maybe you wanna wait till after midnight, because now that 20 minutes before midnight was day one. Mm -hmm. So then I had two babies and was getting kicked out. And when you talk about the birth plan, 
So my my twins didn't have to go to the NICU. Mm-hmm. They were small. They were like five five pounds each. They're the smallest yeah. set of twins in my family, actually, at five pounds each. They didn't even show them to me. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it still pisses me off that, like, yeah. they didn't hold them up. They didn't have to go. They were perfectly fine, didn't need any, you know, extreme measures to help them make their way in. They whisked them away. And then I couldn't see them for, I think it was a couple of hours. So I feel like for people who maybe you Mm -hmm. know you're going to have a C-section, you may still want to consider having a doula. So there's a few things I want to say about C-sections. Also, just circling back real quick to a birth plan, I I also like to touch on C-sections to um, my, my, you know, new parents because we use we hear the term emergency c-section so much and the just the reality of it is very few of them are emergencies they're unplanned and but when it's called most of the time it's a failure to progress and when it's called in the delivery room things move very quick and it's very chaotic and it feels urgent and scary and surgery Mm -hmm. is scary Mm -hmm. so parents have every right to be nervous but it's not life-threatening in the way that they're rushing. Right. So I, I always urge people to really, when they tell their birth stories and they talk about C-sections, if it's an unplanned C-section, be honest and say it was an unplanned C-section. Right. The drama that surrounds labor with this term emergency C-section. Well, see, I consider a true emergency when they completely put you under. And that is what it is. That's, Most, you know. Sometimes, you know, if there's a placenta abruption or something and you start bleeding out, sometimes they still have time to get a spinal in and keep you awake. Right. But most of the time, if it's a, it's a, it's a really true emergency, you're not going to be awake for it. Your right. partner's not going to be in the OR. It's going to be extremely emergent. So um, I always urge people because, you know, when you use the term emergency C-section, it almost, it almost puts that, that tie to it that birth goes wrong more than it goes right. Right. And... That's not true. Right. So um, as far as planned C-sections, I recently, um, just since COVID and everything, I recently just assisted um, a family with a planned C-section. So it was her second labor. She really, really was hoping for a VBAC. And, um, you know, we we were prepared for spontaneous labor or should it had gone to 41 weeks, she was scheduling the C-section for then. So... Um, that was the first time I had shown up to a planned C-section, and I think that it was really helpful for her, and it's helpful for other parents because, like you said, her situation was the same. Her C-section was scheduled for 6.30. We got there at 5.30. She did not have that baby until 1 or 2 because everybody was having a C-section that day, and because there, there was no labor. need for her, they just kept bumping and bumping and bumping. Yep. So having a doula there, I can prov- provide emotional support her for her partner um there's a lot of anxiety as you're sitting around waiting for labor to happen um comfort measures massaging them rubbing their back you know talking to them working on breathing techniques is that they're getting anxious and then we're there for postpartum right usually not in the recovery room but when they move to the postpartum room then we come in there and we help them with that initial um you know breastfeeding and um you know, when you're C-section, you're not getting out of bed. So there's some, you know, light baby care that we can do with them. Right. Give dad a break, let him go get something to eat type thing. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to um, having a doula for your planned C-section. Right. In this particular case, she had actually started contracting. While she was and there. While she was waiting. <laughs> and having a doula there, and her, her biggest thing with having this VBAC was, because her body never went into labor for her first pregnancy, she had this in her head that her body can't go into labor. And she had this just feeling of failure that um, her body doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So as she was contracting, I said, hey, why don't you just grab one of the midwives and have a check? If you're progressing, let's go home. Nobody can tell you to have surgery today. Right. So um, they checked her, she was still not progressed. And any, they told her, had if you go home today, if you're not going to have a baby tonight, most right. likely. So as she was having a couple more contractions as time was going on, she said, "You know what? I'm content with knowing that my body can do it. The little bit of contractions I felt were enough for me, <laughs> and I will continue with the C-section." Oh, that's <laughs> but, funny. You know, 
having a doula there empowered her to say, you know what, let it, let us check on this. Let's yeah. see if, yeah. you know, we can see if this can go the way right. I had originally planned. So there's a lot of benefits to it for everybody. Right. So tell me about, is it a myth that um, everybody who uses a doula just doesn't want to use any medication? Um, no, it's, yeah. it's, we're there to support whatever kind of birth that you want and to see that you have the most positive um, experience with that birth of your choice. Um, there's people, you know, they are like, I'm not worried about labor because I'm having an epidural. And I think, I think that's cute. Like the nurse, <laughs> right. because guess what? Right. Give me the drugs. Where's that anesthesiologist <laughs> might not be there for you when you say, okay, I'm ready now. Right. Yeah. He might, or she may not be around. And the epidural works, you know, by gravity. So you're laying in bed. Sometimes you're one of those, you know. It doesn't distribute you're, evenly. You're one of those unicorns that is dead from the waist <laughs> down, but most of the time you're not. Right. You're feeling it at least on one side or you're feeling the pressure. And, you know, with um, with doulas, there's things that we can do while you're in bed that, you know, with peanut cushions and everything else to um, keep things moving, keep your pelvis open. There's things that we can do while you're in the bed to right. keep things going. So, no, um there's a lot of people that, you know, choose to have medicated births and still want the doula there for the extra support. Right. What other comfort measures do you do as a provide so, and offer? Yeah. So usually if it's a spontaneous labor, we like to start um, at the home and keep you home as long as possible. Um, you know, pain scale wise, it's shown that the pain is much more tolerable when you're home too and you're comfortable in your own environment. Yeah. Those nerves and that anxiety and that adrenaline kick in and you know adrenaline increases your pain. Is The more you can stay relaxed and kind of feed off of that oxytocin at home, the better off you are. So we start at home. One of the big things that I do, um, especially if my client's pretty close by, um, initially as soon as they start feeling the onset of labor, I go over and I put the TENS unit on them. Um, so that, you know, stimulates the nerve ending that's been right. shown that if you start it early enough in labor, as labor is progressing, their, their feeling of pain is less than somebody who hasn't started with the TENS. Right. So, of course, everybody's going to respond different to, differently to it. It's not going to be a save-all for everybody. But a lot of times it really, really does benefit. So, you know, we have the TENS unit. We do hot and cold therapy, you know, heating pads. As soon as I get to the hospital, the first thing I do is I get the pitcher and I fill it with ice and water and I shove washcloths in so we could just keep rotating them in and out right. because you'll never sweat more in your life than mm. when you're in labor. Um, position changes, mantras, breathing techniques, massage, double hip squeezes, um, just keeping people moving, swaying. You know, there's so many things the that we do. Ball. The birth ball, you know, different squats during labor and different positions. Yeah. The rebozo, it's, you know, a big thing. We have, it's a uh, Mexican scarf. It's huge. There's all different, yeah. you know, ways that we can twist you around in it and move you. And, um, you know, there's times where I pull every trick out of my doula bag and it doesn't matter how much stuff in there, we're just going to go through it all. There's times where I never pull one thing out. So, you know, it's, it's it just, varies. it's it's all a game time decision. Um, so you specifically, when you're working with parents to be, to be um, do most of them make prenatal massage part of the plan? Do a huge portion of them? Because we didn't say this yet, but you're also infant an infant massage instructor. Mm -hmm. Do most of the parents package that all together so that they're having massage for themselves before and massage for the babies afterwards? I'd like them to. <laughs> um, I'd like that's that's my that's my goal is to, yeah. and I think I was telling you that I'm going to certify an infertility massage. So my goal is really to kind of conception through. Um, but a lot of my a lot of my doula clients I meet because they've come in for an, okay. a prenatal massage, um, and then it keeps going, and then we build that relationship and move forward. But yeah, in a perfect world, I would love you know pregnant women to do that self-care, get the prenatal massages. Right. Um, the infant massage, um, I'm more of a recent, recently certified in that. Um, so with COVID, they kind of run as a like quote unquote mommy and me. Um, they, but they're for parents, kid, caregivers, um, 
but it's nice to have that like little sense of new parent community and do the infant massage that way because then you're all kind of like in the same you know (laughs) the same trenches of newborn hell so um i like to you know run classes that way but with covid they've been more um on a one-to-one some are some do virtual or if you know we're in person and a parent you know feels comfortable not to be masked because it's so important for babies to see facial expressions and um but i always i always tell um parents to go for the infant massage because the benefits are you know they help you know with sleep patterns they help with some digestive issues some colic symptoms um the emotional bonding you know especially for the partners right you know the woman's carried this baby for nine months there's all this bonding if she's nursing there's that bonding sometimes dads and partners are kind of left out and they're like well wait a minute what can we do that gives us that little extra leg up um caregivers it's really really beneficial if a mom is suffering from any baby blues postpartum depression or anxiety when she's feeling like she's doing nothing right the infant massage kind of gives her that sense that she's doing something really really good for her baby when you know she's not feeling that way and then one of the most important things i think that comes from infant massage is that um it teaches your baby from an extremely early age what's acceptable touch and that you're giving them permission they're giving you permission yeah, to touch your body ask before right and it's not like a can i massage you now like you yeah. just kind of show your hands and you say do you ready for a massage and you you gauge their reaction right. if they're like you don't do it but it's just teaching them from an early age that that's their body and nobody's right. touching it unless they're given permission to yeah that was when i was uh creating the promotions for the website carrie and i were kind of joking because for the podcast rather because my i did um my training was baby's first massage was what mm-hmm. it was called and so my twins either got a bath mm-hmm. or they got a massage and and when they would get a bath i would have my mother run and put the towels in the dryer so they would be <laughs> So either they were getting a bath and then wrapped in this hot towel that just came, not hot, burning hot, but warm towel out of the dryer, or they got a massage and she was like, they are never going to leave. <laughs> They're going to be home forever. They're never going to leave your house. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that they will at some point. Well, um, I'll add with the infant massage, another great benefit is, um, as Stephanie knows, my son is adopted and um, he's eight months old now. And you know, when you're pregnant and that baby's in your utero, they hear your voice, you know, there's all this bonding happens. So um, we brought him home when he was three days old and I've been doing infant massage on him. And for adoptive parents, it's just a really wonderful way to bond with your baby and build that trust and build that connection. Right. So, excellent. Um, do you want to talk at all about how um, another role that the doula plays is with some cultures where like the the dad is not allowed in that you know you've attended maybe some births where the mom would be otherwise by herself so this is um this is really loaded because there's a lot in other cultures but there's so much in our own culture that is almost like a little horrific so let me start with some of the the other cultures, um, I think I had spoken to you um, before about I had a client and they were Hasidic Jewish. And in, you know, a background like that, when the woman's water breaks or there's any um, fluid fluid or anything, um, you know, the husband is hands off. He can be there to emotionally support, but there's no hands on physical support. So in a and situation that's, that's extremely hard because, you know, from my own labor experience, my husband, sometimes, you know, his emotional support was like, just please stop talking and press <laughs> on my back. Like, that was more important for me, for him to be physical than it was for him to be like, you're doing so great. Like, I wanted to be like, strangle him and be like, just shut up. And, just you know, just, just get a, I, I need a fist as deep into my back as you can go right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are, there are situations with cultures like that where it would be, you know, hugely, hugely needed. Um, You know, I touch on our culture because, um, you know, America, women die in childbirth at a higher rate 
than most developed countries. And we talk about other cultures, but they seem to have it a little bit more right. You know, you go with an Indian, traditional Indian background, and those women are getting massages every single day of their pregnancy. They have women in their community that are, you know, stepping in as a doula. Right. And they have a tremendous support system of women for postpartum care. Um, here yeah. in America, we don't, we don't do that. Um, and we don't find it acceptable. I had somebody approach me, um, an Indian woman approach me about bringing that kind of care here. And I said, I would love to facilitate this program with you. However, I think you're going to have a very, very hard time transitioning women to believe that this should be part of our prenatal care. Um, you know, in our country, non-Hispanic black women are three times more likely to have maternal death yep. than um, white women. And there's 700 pregnancy-related deaths that happen every year. And two-thirds of those are considered preventable. And a lot of times that's kind of where a doula could be hugely helpful too right. because if these women are educated in the decisions, if they're educated in what's going on in the delivery room, when maybe things should be happening that aren't or things that are happening that shouldn't. Um, one of the main things that they saw that was a big thing in our culture compared to other countries is that our country is largely OB-based. And even though obstetricians, there's in New Jersey, I can say that we have some excellent ones. In New Jersey, I could say that our labor and delivery um, units in a lot of our hospitals are very, very good. But that's not that's not the norm throughout our country. Right. Um, what they're finding in these other countries is that they're mostly their labor and delivery is mostly run by midwives. midwives. Yeah. So that's the downfall. So I think that even though we take in, you know, as you know, a mixed bag here in America and as doulas we you know, want to be so educated about other backgrounds. And when we take on these clients, we really want to get in, you know, to right. as far as like, even with the one client, I asked her, you know, what's acceptable? She had a summer birth. I said, what's acceptable for me to wear to your labor? Can I wear a tank top? I normally do. Is that okay? You know, you want to be respectful of everything that they, right. you know, follow. But then we have to look at our own culture too. And we are, you know, we're grossly behind when it comes to maternal care. Right. Yeah. The, uh, Carrie and I both, um, you finished it. I'm still in the process of it, the Coursera course on midwives and, mm -hmm. and birthing. And they touch on a lot of that in that course on, on how, what, where certain things are lacking, where certain things have improved. And the whole goal is to lower um, maternal fetal mm -hmm. death, um, maternal newborn death. And yeah, the statistics are, I, I just saw a case maybe a few weeks ago where a physician, a black physician, died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just... There's a stigma attached that black women don't really experience pain the way we do and when they're requesting pain medication. Um, they're denied it longer, for longer. Yeah. But, you know, just African-Americans tend to be more diabetic and hypertensive. So that's things that need to be taken into consideration. Right. And as you know, you know, when your pain goes up, so does your blood pressure. Right. So if you're dealing with somebody who's possi possibly preeclamptic and you're withholding those pain medications, you're pushing them into you're a pushing their crisis. limits and you're yes. So there's things like that that you know, they're being ignored in our country and right. you know, unfortunately, it is it is the facts that, you know, another situation where, you know, white women kind of have it a little easier. And yeah. um, that pain thing, the, that um, myth about African-Americans feeling less pain, that goes back years and years. I mean, you could trace the history of mm -hmm. abuse of women in gynecological, like, procedures where they were doing research. It, it's really horrific. Like, just that's a, that could be a whole nother yeah that's why i when i said to you i was like i kind of just want to touch on this because yeah this could really dive into and go down a rabbit hole of how poorly our country takes care of maternal health right so um we have a long way to go but i have i have faith that uh you know one day labor and delivery will be um 
run more by midwives and doulas and that OBs will be there for the emergency situations where C-sections are needed, but they won't be the main source of right. the delivery unit. So, um, and you work alongside either an O, you know, yeah. what you can work alongside a midwife, you can work alongside mm -hmm. the OB. Right. And, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes OBs automatically assume that if a doula is there, they're like, oh, well, my patient doesn't want an epidural. I had a situation, um, where I actually love this doctor. Um, Stephanie knows after my daughter, I had a, two weeks later, I had a very severe postpartum hemorrhage. And the doctor that basically saved my life, I did a birth with her once. And, you know, it was years after, you can't, you don't remember everybody you uh, work with. So um, I was You at, would remember. No, I remember. Yeah. Yes. I was like, thank you. I'm here and alive today because <laughs> of you. And she was like, oh, that's good. Kind of like, <laughs> so I was at a twin labor and she had been um, not medicated the entire time and just using nitrous oxide. Um, and it got to the point where the babies were showing a little bit of distress and I had said, maybe now might be a good time to get an epidural and you can relax and let the babies do what they have to do. And she goes, oh, is that an option? Cause you're here. And I was like, well, no, I mean, yes, it is an option. Like I'm not here because. <laughs> I don't cancel out. It doesn't mean. Right. That, I was you know, like, no, I, I always out. tell, you know, right. all my clients, we do what we can do until we can't. Right. And then we bring in the interventions that are needed, but she, you know, as an OB and a young OB, she's not, you know, so, you know, she's not so seasoned that she doesn't right. know what these, you know, extra things are, but um, she just had she it She must in have thought head. that because you're, because her patient had you there that, well, you know, she wants They to. just, she assumed that it was for an unmedicated birth. Right. And granted, that was her initial idea of what she wanted, but she was also flexible and open. Right. So, um, you know, we just have, we have a long way to go. <laughs> but I Tell me about your most, um, difficult experience with a, a labor? Um, so there's one, there's a labor that I had last year that kind of haunts me because, you know, we, we try our best to give you the most positive outcome. And this mother left with not the most positive outcome. And, you know, for me, that's a failure for me. And while I'm only human, it was also a great learning experience for me, but it was difficult in that, um, her husband wasn't able to be present for, he was out of out of the country actually, and he wasn't able to be present for the labor. So it was a situation where she didn't really want a doula, like that the comfort of having an extra person in the room wasn't really there for her, but she also felt she needed more than just her mom. She wanted that outside source. So, but her mother was very like, get the epidural, get the epidural, get the epidural. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had kind of told her, you know, you get it too soon, these are the risks. This is kind of what happens. You get it too soon. It can slow things down so much that you're at a complete stall. You're a failure, failure to progress. And then we're on to a C-section. And that is basically how it exactly it happened. Out. And, you know, there was a lot of disappointment on her end. And, but overall it was difficult for me because I felt... I felt very muscled out from the beginning. Right. So it was hard for kinda me like, to you know, I'm not able to do what I'm here for sort of thing. Right. And I think that, um, I didn't have maybe the confidence in that situation. Whereas today I would have said, you know what, I'm just going to step in and do what she needs me to do because she's not in the headspace right mm. now to make right. that decision. I followed her lead and I should have, I should have guided Taken her a little bit more in that situation. So, you know, I can say, you know, not every, every experience is perfect for everybody most of the time that's not the situation but that would have been the most difficult for me because i felt that i didn't do you know the job that i was in there to do but um i would say one of my other ones um and she was probably one of my favorite clients and i'm very excited to um say that i'll be back for her second birth in june um she ended up in a c-section after a 30-hour um <clears throat> fully unmedicated birth she vomited every time she had a contraction. Oh, no. Just <laughs> it was that's a lot. It was a lot, and it was difficult because you know 
she was so, so determined and you, to keep that motivation going. And now, you know, she's weak, she's thirsty, she's hungry. There's, you know, but um, the situation was as she was, um, and she was one of my first labors, as she was squatting and contraction, she was kind of bearing down a little bit when she shouldn't have been, which swelled her cervix a little bit. Wow. So she pushed for hours, they vacuumed, the baby just couldn't pass through. And she was just so, so, so close. So after 30 hours, they said, well, you can get an epidural now and rest, let the swelling go down, and then we can go for the vaginal delivery, or we could just call it and end this, and you could get some rest. And so she said, all right, let's call it. But um, that was probably one of the most difficult ones because, I mean, the motivation, it was there. Everything was there, and just this weird just fluke thing happened. And so now, you know, we're going back in June. Her body has basically already done the work, and uh, we'll be ready for a VBAC for sure. But... You know, in a situation like that, she labored both ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then had to recover from surgery. So, yeah, that's I, really. I had a cousin that that happened where she was just, and what ended up keeping her from having <clears throat> her oldest, he had the cord was wrapped around so many times. So she would push mm -hmm. and he just couldn't go anywhere because right. he had like, it was wrapped a couple times, oops, around <laughs> his underarm. Mm -hmm. So that he had like a torticollis. Right. And um, they, she just kept leaving. I mean, you wouldn't know until, you know, she went in for the C-section. And, right. and it was it was a harder recovery because she had labored for so long. Right. Before they finally, you know, made that decision. Yeah. And I always try to remind moms, you know, especially when they go through something like that and it ends up in a C-section and they're so disappointed. I, I don't want to diminish what they've gone through in the labor uh, right. But I try to remind them that this is just a piece of this entire huge thing that they just did. Right. They grew this baby. They delivered this baby. They're going to nourish this baby when they're born and right. care for them for the rest of their life. So labor, you know, it's important. We try to give them the most positive outcome, the positive story that they can walk away with. But we also, you know, remind them this is just a piece to this huge right. thing that you did. Right. So um, did we have any questions, Bing? It didn't look like uh, no up. questions. Just just a lot of love for Carrie. Got uh, Rachel Santana and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Chet Ziegler says hello, Doctor Rob. So, <laughs> Chet, you know. we're gonna get Chet to come on and talk about Qigong. Ooh, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have anything else you want to share? I have a question. Yeah, Ooh, sorry. So how do people find you? So, um, my business is called At Peace Birth and Wellness. Um, right now, my website is horrible. <laughs> it is. I'm not good, but one of my wonderful upcoming um, families, uh, the husband is building me a very nice website right now. So you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me hanging around Stephanie's office upstairs <laughs> on Main Street in Allentown in my lovely workspace up there. Awesome. Um, you know, I don't want to discourage other people from coming in for massages. I offer, you know, hot stone, yeah. warm bamboo, deep tissue. I do oncology massage. Um, I do love the bamboo. Yeah. I do. So um, I don't want to discourage, you know, people who are not pregnant from coming yeah. in. Come in and get a massage. Yes. <laughs> then go home and get pregnant. Yes. And then go home. Well, <laughs> that's why I have a Valentine's Day special running right now. People are, like, going super crazy for these hot chocolate bombs right now. Yes. They are that's all the, the rage. That's the big thing, the hot chocolate right. bombs. So I have a special running right now. You could do it you know, a solo massage, or we have a special running for a couple's massage. And then you leave with a pack of two hot chocolate bombs. You go get cozy, you go home, whatever happens when you drink those bombs. Nine months later, I'm your girl. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's see you in September, right? October. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing all that info thank you with for us. Having me. Awesome. This is, it went better than I thought. I was a little nervous. No, you did great. <laughs> It was good. Um, Rob, do you want to talk about Mark, who is coming on next week? That's right. Coming on next Monday night is Mark Mastrandrea. He has been um, treating COVID successfully all of 2020 and continues to do so. He's up in Connecticut. We're going to patch him in. And um, the first 
half or the first 40 minutes or so of uh, next week's podcast is going to be <clears throat> talking to, uh, about what people can do to keep themselves safe, what they can do to stay healthy. And then we're, we're going to switch over and spend some of that time talking more to acupuncturists and how you can treat this because we can all treat this and we don't need herbs to do this. Right. We can do it with herbs. We can do it without herbs. And um, I actually worked with him back in March on somebody. Um, we'll get into the details of that story. Uh, was pretty pretty um, rough. I mean, they were ready to put her on a ventilator. Okay? Ah. And uh, she's doing great. Good. Do you want to talk about Caitlin after that? Um, so the week after that, which will be February 1st, Caitlin Donovan is going to come on and talk about burnout and how to prevent that, how to recognize that it's happening. Um, she has, I think her podcast is called Fried, but we'll talk to talk to her more about that and I'll put up some more information on Instagram and Facebook so everybody can learn about who's coming on next but mm -hmm. we want to thank Carrie so <laughs> much for being our first guest awesome. um, I did Carrie. link her stuff to our practical medicine awesome. link tree account so you can see her info there um, and we have our first Eight episodes are up on YouTube and podcast platforms. Thanks to Ming for showing me how to do that and walking me through it step by step a couple of different times. Um, and hopefully we'll have this one up soon. And you can get all of our contact information under, I, Ming usually posts it with the podcast. And we look forward to seeing everyone next week. Next week. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Have a great night. The contents presented during the Practical Medicine Podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented. The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, D-A-C-L-A-C, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, D-A-C-M-L-A-C, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition. The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. Privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places, and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.